All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. It is the last of the last, not only the last of this week, but almost, almost, we jump into the book of Jeremiah, which implies this is the last lesson in the book of Isaiah. Here we are going through the first of many major prophets, 66 chapters. What I want to do before we really unpack the last two chapters, because I think to me, I'm going to say it again and again. Uh, my wife and I, and I think our team would say the same thing. This whole book has just blown our mind. It's kind of like, wow, this is all in here. And then really we're supposed to understand this. <laughs> and yet, yes, it should give us hope. That's the bottom line, you guys. God sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us to what? To give us hope amidst all of this stuff. I mean, that Isaiah is, is prophesying about the captivities. You know, obviously there's the Assyrian captivity. He's primarily talking about, you know, uh, the Babylonian captivity. But yet at the same time, as things don't look good, guys, you can look to God because it's going to maybe not get better here. But in the end, oh, it absolutely will. It might not be here on earth, (laughs) but it will be with him forever. And so here you have, excuse me, an incredible picture of 66 chapters, the first 39 chapters. Kevin, how would you define uh, Isaiah 1 through 39? Judgment. Judgment. Rich, how would you define the last 27 chapters? Oh, it's going to be a delightful blessing. A delightful blessing, redemption, comfort, deliverance. The opposite of judgment is really what you have. And that's kind of the beauty of this book. It's really a mini little representation of the entire Bible. 39 chapters represent the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets, and then you have 27 chapters that represent the New Testament. And I think it's a really cool picture of what God is doing. Now think about this. Uh, R. Bruce Compton, he's out of Detroit Baptist Theological. He's really helped us, honestly, you guys, throughout this whole book, whether we knew it or not at times. But Isaiah 1 through 12 is about prophecies. This is Isaiah giving prophecies about and against concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Remember, if you want to go to our, our uh Prophets and King slide. Remember, Isaiah is speaking, Kevin, to who? Southern kingdom. Southern kingdom. So when you hear of Judah, you should think southern kingdom and Jerusalem. Jerusalem always gets thrown into the southern kingdom. And then in 13 through 23, you have these oracles, these warnings, these prophecies against the surrounding nations that have issues against Israel. So this is kind of the process. Then in 24 through 25, it's kind of like the bomb. Prophecies of worldwide judgment and deliverance. So it's kind of like, here it comes and you're going to be delivered. It's like it's this ongoing theme. And then you get in 28 through 33, he specifically gives warnings and judgment against Samaria, Jerusalem, and then it even gets into Assyria. Now, as we're still in this section of 1 through 39 of Kevin's exciting judgment. Finally, the last three chapters of that first section of Isaiah is really an odd historical interlude. I mean, it really is. It's like, oh, by the way, here's some history <laughs> and a transition, which leads to chapters 40 through 66, which is really where we've been hanging out the last couple of weeks. Uh, and again, that gets into deliverance, 
And so really that's that's what you guys see and what we've been talking about. And then you're going to see prophecies in 40 through 48 of redemption and restoration. You keep hearing this over and over again. And then you're going to see in 49 through 55, I don't want us to miss this, you guys, you see the emphasis of the servant. I mean, we hear that the servant was chosen. We hear that the servant was suffering. We see that in Isaiah 61 that he was anointed. And all of this points to, from the very beginning, Emmanuel. God is with us. And then to wrap it up, in 56 through 66, it's the prophecies of condemnation and consummation. So in other words, judgment is coming and consummation. Rich, what is consummation? The adjective is showing a high degree of skill and flair, complete or perfect. So what you're going to see is judgment and warning, right, against them. And at the same time, it's like God's going to put it all together. Uh, It sounds very oversimplified, but that's really what happens, you guys, in Isaiah 65 and 66. In Isaiah 65, just as like, I mean, when we say like uh, a major overview here, Kevin, if you want to go there as well, uh, basically the Lord is, is responding, saying to his people, I'm here. He says, I was fine by those who did not seek me. He said, I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. And so he's implying, guys, I am making myself available. In other words, he's making himself available for people that are eager to find him. And then in the process, uh, I think it just transitions into, man, there's so much I want to begin to unpack. Here's what I will say in Isaiah 65. In Isaiah 65, you'll see in verse 17, he then begins to describe, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. So what does he say in verse 18? For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy. In verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Like this is the picture that he has. He's going to restore to the point where that you guys, there will be. And what you see here, a new heaven and a new earth. I can't think of a better complete picture. A new heaven and a new earth. Now, naturally, that would be fun to teach on. But we thought we'd keep going with Isaiah 66. So that's your brief summary of Isaiah 65. Now, now think about this, okay? Part of what we're going to hear in Isaiah 65 and 66, and Constable says it super well, part of these changes that are coming, Kevin, they're going to take place in the millennium. Okay, the millennium is what, Kevin? A thousand year reign. A thousand year reign after the seven year tribulation, right? After the millennium. Then Constable says, and I would agree, outside of the millennium here in 65 and 66, you have what's called the new heaven and the new earth. This is the timeline that we've been wrestling with this whole 66 chapters. Now, the crazy thing is, is it's really not true because, Kevin, remember right above this? (laughs) Uh, Really, it should be like right here. You have the second coming, right? It's adjacent to the seven-year tribulation, right? It's at the very end, right? And then before the seven-year tribulation, some somewhere you have the first coming, the first advent. And then here's what's even amazing. This right here is all about, wow, if you guys can read this, it's amazing, the current situation, right? Some good drawings right there, guys. You got your current, you got your first coming, your second coming, seven-year tribulation. And then today we get to talk about even more of the millennium and the new heaven, which we alluded to yesterday, even about the third temple. The third temple is going to be established in the millennium. Whew, and then guess what, Kevin? 
Well, it'll be established in the tribulation. It'll be functioning in the millennium. Thanks. It'll be functioning in the millennium. Why? Because Christ is going to be there. How crazy is that? Sign me up. Be there, Rich. Christ is going to be there. It gets me excited. I thought you would have said it with more emphasis than... Well, and we've also learned lots of other phrases in Isaiah. Dilly dilly, right? The shepherds, the watchmen, they're out getting drunk, not going to take care of it. But guys, you got to get ready. Why? Because it's going to be an unbelievable deal. And Isaiah 66, 1 says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. The Lord is talking here. What house could you possibly build for me? And what place could be my home? My hand made all these things. And so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who's humble, submissive in spirit and trembles at my word. Scripture continues on and he says, okay, uh, this is that kind of person. Okay, back to verse two, just so you guys know. He says, I look favorable on this kind of person. A couple characteristics, humility, submissive, trembles at his word. One slaughters an ox in verse three. Then it continues on. One kills a man, one sacrifices a lamb. One breaks a dog's neck. One offers a grain offering. One offers pig's blood. Hmm. One offers incense. One praises an idol. All these have chosen their ways and delight in their abominations. So Kevin... You have two drastic comparisons. Would you agree? Yeah. In two and in three. It continues on in verse four. I mean, look, God hates these sacrifices of the wicked. Okay. In verse three, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, look at this in verse three again. I mean, they're, they're killing kids in sacrifice. I mean, that's where some of this could come from. Some of the Jews were offering bulls as their sacrifices, but the reality was is there is an emptiness in their heart, you guys. I think MacArthur said it well. I mean, (laughs) pagans were offering a man on the altar. The pagans were willing to do whatever it took. They were willing to give up themselves. But here's the deal. In two and three, God is simply looking for a heart. He's looking for a heart that's willing to make an offering. And I like what MacArthur says, that's ready to have a heart that dwell in him, a heart that's tender and broken. Not one that's concerned with religion. Not one that's concerned with how does this look. And I love this description. God is looking to dwell in the hearts of people who take his word seriously. And so here you have these two pictures. Humility is more important, you guys, than these type of things. So Kevin, here's what's interesting. I mean, we're talking about the new temple, correct? We talked about this. I don't know if you remember this. Before we all started this week, Kevin... Can you sin in the millennium? I don't know. I think so. Okay, Rich? I think so, because your free will is still there. Look at verse 3. I think this answers our question. If 1 through 6 is really talking about the new temple in the millennium, if it is, possibly, this could be a scenario to say these things are taking place. Does that make sense? Is it taking place? Well, he says in verse four, so I will choose their punishment. I will bring on them what they dread because I called and no one answered. I spoke and they didn't hear. They did what is evil in my sight and chose what I didn't delight in. Now you who tremble at his word, hear the word of the Lord. You brothers who hate and exclude you because of me have said, let the Lord be glorified so that we can see your joy, but they will be put to shame. Verse six, a sound of uproar from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord paying back his enemies what they deserve it looks like 
it looks like people, as you said, Rich, have this free will. They make these decisions even in that time. And obviously, Kevin, according to this text, they will get what they deserve. Now, right now, it looks like we are clearly in the millennium. Would everybody agree? This is not the new heaven and the new earth. So it has to be that time period or a current event. (laughs) So, all right, let's keep going here, okay? So now in verse 7, again, here's what you have to understand with Isaiah. You can look at this and be like, dude, he's not talking about the millennium at all. You can look at it like that. I'm okay with that. I just want you to have an understanding, but he sure likes to paint a picture for the big picture. (laughs) So, all right, anything else, guys? Kevin? Again, I'm trying to put myself in the the Jews position as he's writing, as he's sharing this, as he's speaking it out. And they don't have any clue. <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways, we don't have any clue. No, I, I would totally agree. Isaiah 66, 7 says this, okay? Now we're going to talk about the potential future of Zion, which is Jerusalem, which is married which is my city, I I delight in her, you know, right? The city that's not forsaken, also known as Jerusalem. All right, before Zion, before Jerusalem was in labor, she gave birth. (laughs) That's what I want to do. I just want to hit my head on the table. What do you mean before she was in labor, she gave birth? Before she was in pain, she delivered a boy. Here's one of the thoughts from Warren Wearsby. And it, it actually... It's, it's legit. Okay, now listen to this. Before Zion was in labor, she gave birth. All right, so hang on. This could be a prophecy of Messiah's appearance before the tribulation. Before Zion was in labor, before Jerusalem went through these birth pains, which is described as the tribulation, correct? She gave birth. It could be, and before she was in pain, before she went through the tribulation, she delivered a boy, which could be, yes, Emmanuel. Thoughts? It kind of, it kind of works. Kevin? I could say that could work. Plausible. Am I saying absolute no? But I do think there's a lot of potential because here we are, you guys. We've been talking about the millennium. We've been talking about the establishment. Think about this, you guys. Up until this point, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the upcoming temple. I mean, this seems to fit end times language more so than anything else. Again, take it for what it's worth. Uh, Another person just says maybe it's a prediction of joy and delight in Zion in the future. Well, that's obvious. It's very generic. So you're not buying that one? Well, I'm just saying... So uh, two lessons in all of this. I think this is interesting. No birth can come until labor pains have occurred, right? Well, that's kind of true. But in this scenario, no, because look, <laughs> I love verse eight. Who's heard of such a thing? I love verse. Can you go to verse eight, Kevin? So you said, hey, he's going to be in labor, but no birth. But birth. Who's heard of such a things? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day or a nation be delivered in an instant? Yet as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to uh, to her sons. <laughs> okay, now the theology doesn't as hold up as much, does it? Because now they're saying, wait, multiple sons? Okay, many people still would say, and I, I think this is uh, totally legit, is, is that here we're talking about the nation of Israel, 
that yes, in 1948, May 14th, 1948, Israel was established as a nation. But I think we would all agree in this room that Israel still has not received and is not complete the country that it was originally designed, right? So maybe, maybe at one point after the tribulation, maybe, okay, it's just a thought, either in the, either in the millennium or in the new heaven and the new earth, that Israel and Jerusalem will truly be established. Just like that. Is that the case? I don't know, but clearly something's going to happen like that. Can a lamb be born in one day, a nation be delivered in an instant? I mean, we've seen that in May 14th, 1948. I think, Kevin, maybe when they came back from Babylonian captivity, they probably had that thought. We have to establish our country. We have to establish our city. Here we go. Uh, and she gave birth to her son. So maybe the tribes are involved in all of this as well. Uh, you guys have any other thoughts to this? Well, it seems like as Isaiah is delivering the words of the Lord, the Lord is sharing just his his power in that. Like, mm. who's heard of such a thing? That's right. Can you go to uh, Daniel 11, please? Daniel 11, verse 40. Let's just see if we can see it, just a little bit of a picture of this. Daniel 11, verse 40 through 45. Watch this, what happens, okay? At the time of the end... The king of the south will engage him in battle, but the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. He will invade countries and sweep through them like a flood. Verse 41. He will also invade the beautiful land, and many will fall, but these will escape from his power, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of the Ammonites. He will extend his power against the countries, and not even the land of Egypt will escape. He will get control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the riches of Egypt. The Libyans and Cushites will also be in submission, verse 44, but reports from the east and the north will terrify him. And he will go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many, verse 45. He will pitch his royal tents between the sea and, uh, and the beautiful holy mountain, but he will meet his end with no one to help him. So Kevin, this is a picture of what? Battle of Armageddon. Battle of Armageddon. And so what happens? All of the nations are coming in, but guess what? It's not going to stand up. He says in verse 9, Will I bring a baby to the point of birth and then not deliver it, says the Lord? Or will I deliver close to the womb, says your God? Think about it this way. If this is a picture of the tribulation, and if, if this is a picture of coming into the millennium, okay, and or the new heaven and new earth, however you want to look at this, okay, you have to say Israel will be established at some point. And this is what he's talking about. Think about this. Would I take a baby all the way and then just not deliver it? You guys, Genesis 12 is talking about God has a plan and a purpose for his people. Why would I get him to this close? Why would I get him to deliver them? But then just, oh, sorry, not going to not going to do it. Why would I close the womb? No, he says, I'm going to fulfill the things that I've talked about with Jerusalem. And that's why he says in verse 10, be glad for Jerusalem and rejoice over her. Rejoice greatly with her, all who mourn over her, so that you may nurse and be satisfied. And then they have this picture of like it's going to be satisfying about how Jerusalem is going to be compared to a nursing mother. And this is that whole image, you guys, of, of a birthing section. So when it's very detailed and it says, and be satisfied from her comforting, from her comforting breast and drink deeply and delight yourselves from her glorious breasts. For this is what the Lord says. I will make peace flow to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flood. You will nurse and be carried on her hip and bounced on her lap. You know, just that peace like a river. As a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted in Jerusalem. It's an awesome picture, you guys. The future hope 
for Jerusalem. And remember, he just got done telling them, you guys, you're going to go into captivity. Remember, judgment is coming, but oh, it's going to be an awesome picture. You will delight in this. He says in verse 14, you will see, you will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. Then the Lord's power will be revealed to his servants. And Kevin, that's what you're even alluding to earlier. Like people will see God's presence, his power in his own people. But he will show his wrath against his enemies. MacArthur says it this way, and it's just going to sound a little strange for me, but prosperity will belong to the faithful remnant in this time. And the enemies will experience, those who are opposing the Lord will experience wrath. Look, it says in verse 15, the Lord will come with fire. His chariots are like the whirlwind to execute his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Look, the wrath of God is coming. There's, there's no question about that. And then I have a, a direction I want to go. We'll see if we can head that direction. Maybe <laughs> it says in uh, verse 16, for the Lord will execute judgment. On all flesh with his fiery sword, and many will be slain by the Lord. So there's going to be many, you guys, that are going to fight against the Lord when he comes to establish his kingdom. Like, we're talking about the end here. When Christ comes back, he's going to clean house. And in verse 17, those who dedicate and purify themselves to enter the groves, following their leader, eating meat from pigs, vermin and rats will perish together. Gross. This is the, they're going to all perish together. The, all of them, the pigs, the vermin, the rats and the people will perish together. This is the Lord's declaration. In verse 18, it says this, knowing their works and their thoughts, I've come to gather. I've come to gather all the nations and languages and they will come and see my glory. Hmm. In other words, to go back to this picture, Jerusalem will be the epicenter of everything. It goes back to, I think Joel Rosenberg wrote a, I think it was, I don't know if it was, uh, he wrote a book, I don't know if it was, it was real, it wasn't a fictional, non-fictional, I think he wrote called uh, The Epicenter. And you guys, let, let's just face it, if you believe in replacement theology, that the church has replaced uh, Israel, all, all I would just say is this, whenever you turn on the news, you can clearly see God's hand is still on this city, Zion, Jerusalem, you name it, whatever you want, the city of David, God's not done. And then he prophesies, the prophet Isaiah, by the way, all the way back in this time frame where he's next to his buddy Micah. <laughs> and he says, hey, by the way, yeah, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And then it's going to be rebuilt. And then it's going to be destroyed again. And then, you know, it's really going to become back permanently. <laughs> and then everybody, all the nations and all the languages, they're going to come and see God's glory in Jerusalem. Who doesn't want a front row seat? I do. Put me there in coach. <laughs> Look at verse 19, if you would. I will establish a sign among them and I'll send survivors from them to the nations. Okay. <laughs> this part really gets me giddy. Okay. He's using survivors from them. Kevin, what's them? The remnant of the, the Jews. The remnant of the Jews are going to be sent into nations, to Tarshish, to put the Lud, who are the archers, Tubal, Javon, and the islands far away, who have not heard of my fame uh, or seen my glory. And they will proclaim my glory among the nations. So what are you seeing here? You're seeing a remnant group that's what? Going out into Spain, going into North Africa, going into Northeast Asia Minor, going into Greece. These trained Jews, literally, that have a heart for the gospel, in the end, 
are going to now establish the gospel with the beautiful feet and they're delivering it all across the world. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. There's a lot of questions here. Where are these guys from? These messengers that are going out. Uh, are they a part of the faithful remnant? Abs- absolutely. Uh, are they a specific number? We don't know. I just know that God has a plan for folks in the end times to continue to deliver the gospel until the new heaven and the new earth has been established. So in this language right here, Kevin, it's not established yet. We're still in what? The millennium. Can you imagine as an ambassador of Christ being sent out from King Jesus, actually himself? Okay, go now, guys. What? Yes. You want me to go to Put? You want me to go to this location of North Africa? You want me to go to Tarshish, which is Spain? You want me to go to Javon, which is Greece? You want me to go to Tobal, which is Asia Minor? Yeah, I'll go. He's going to send his faithful remnant to go deliver the gospel. And then he says in verse 20, they will bring all your brothers from all the nations as a gift to the Lord on horses and chariots and litters and on mules and camels to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring an offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. Like this is pictured as a clean offering because they really want to come to worship him. The ambassadors went out to recruit and God honored the first fruits. He says in verse 21, I'll also take some of them as priests and Levites. So some of the returning remnant, some of the, the faithful remnant will now function in specialized, MacArthur says, specialized roles in the services of the Millennium Temple. So some of the faithful remnant are going to be viewed as priests and Levites. Some of them are going to be ambassadors as evangelists that are going out to share the gospel, to recruit people to come worship Jesus And then he says in verse 22, here we go, for just as the new heavens and on the new earth, which I will make, will endure before me. This is the Lord's declaration. So your offspring and your name will endure. All mankind in verse 23 will come to worship me from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. Scripture continues and as it closes out in Isaiah 66, verse 24, as they leave, they will see the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me for their worm will never die. Their fire will never go out and they will be a horror to all mankind. Why couldn't we end on a good note? I was say, that's not very happy. So the people, you guys, that chose not to embrace the message of Emmanuel. For those that chose to ignore the God whose existence is in Jerusalem, that's, that's his home, that those that denied who he is, Scripture says, those that rebelled against him, they will never die. Their worm will never die. Their corpse will serve as a vivid reminder to the nature and terrible consequences if you decide to rebel against God. MacArthur continues on with this, this mentality, you guys. I mean, the battle of Armageddon is going to be gruesome and gross. Whether we're talking about Armageddon or we're talking about during this millennium time, the point is, is please do not choose to go against God. Something that will get somebody all fired up, but look, there's no way around this. Um, it says their fire will never go out. Their worm will never die. You know what that means to me? It means to me, one, hell is real. You know what it also means? It's not where you just are annihilated if you choose to rebel against God and then you're just dead in dust. It says to me, your existence, your spirit, who you are still exists and your fire will never go out. And you know what that means? That means permanent torture 
for your entire eternal life. Whew. Warren Wiersbe closes this whole thing out and he says, you trust the Lord and you live. You rebel against the Lord, you die. And may I add with this, in torture. Forever and ever and ever. God is a consuming fire. I just want to be on the side <laughs> where I can worship Him. Not, not, not uh, be eternally uh, tormented by Him. Uh, whew, lot. Isaiah, I love it. Thank you for hanging in there with us on this. Thank you for sounding this out. Thank you for digging in. Thank you for reading the daily word, the questions, the lessons, reading yourself, digging in to study Bibles yourselves. I'm telling you guys, as a result, my prayer is this, that you look more like him. I can tell you, I'm really excited about what we've been learning here, but here's the deal. That's just one prophet. We got another one tomorrow. His name is Jeremiah. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.